Just some podcast media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Buried Pleasures are those of the host and the guests and do not represent any views of any organizations that we may volunteer for or be employed by. Listeners should be aware that there may, most likely, be profanity and discussions on topics that may require a little discretion. You have been warned. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Buried Pleasures. I'm your hostess, Colleen Amazing. And today, I have a wonderful and amazing new friend that, well, he's not a new friend. He's kind of an old friend, but new for you guys. But... Chris, if you would love to, please introduce yourself. Tell the people who you are, what you do. My name is Christopher Hetzer, and my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I have gotten to a position in my nursing career where I've been really passionate about public health uh, due to past events in my life that um, want me to give back. I've been trying to find a platform to really spread the message about uh, nursing, the trauma of nursing, addiction, HIV, and sexual health. Those are very large themes, um, and I have somehow managed to circle in all of it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being able to have a chance to share my origins spiel. (laughs) You know, origin stories aside, I love that. You're like (laughs) a superhero already. So I met Chris through uh, a mutual friend of ours a long time ago. (laughs) It's been a while, you know. Recently, I'd been noticing that on social media, you've been posting a lot about all of the things that you've been speaking about, like the LGBTQ plus community. You've been talking about HIV. You've been talking about all these things that are pertinent to public health, which is really important now because, you know, COVID aside, life is still going on out there, right? So we need people to remind us, oh, hey, hey, I'm still over here, right? So tell me, let's talk about your origin story. Talk about where you came from, what you, uh, you know, what's what was your sitch growing up? So I am Ohio born and raised. Um, I've been able to be part of this community and have watched Columbus really explode over the past 30 some years. We've come quite a long way and it's been amazing. Uh, the LGBT community here is really rooted and um, very proud. When uh, growing up in Ohio was definitely challenging for any LGBT person, uh, LGBTQ, excuse me. Oh, I, I really remember like kids would make bets on me trying to get me to come out where they would. There was a pot of $500 at one time to get someone to kiss me to out me. I had to have surgery because kid kicked me in the groin and formed a blood clot and caused testicular torsion, uh, which was not fun. And the, many of those stories like that a lot of us share really create a lot of pain and trauma. And I then became very hyper-focused on succeeding. I got my Eagle Scout at a young age, um, I think around 15 and a half. Like I flew through Scouts and I was the captain of the water polo and swim team in high school. So I kept trying to achieve and just prove my worth. And as I got into nursing, I learned that that was all a lot of coping mechanisms because I wanted to prove that I'm not going to hell being gay. I am worthy. I am not some abomination that you can just push off to the side. And so I got into nursing, had a lot of challenges. I feel it's one of the harder degrees to get. I got kicked out my first school, um, but I climbed through it. And I finally, I'm about to graduate with my master's uh, here in two weeks. So yay. Oh, this is like an opus for you. You can just be like, oh, I didn't realize you were graduating two weeks though. I'm getting teary over here listening to what you've already said. Okay. Because in my heart, I, I totally understand and have always understood that I was not the same person that everybody else in my little Kentucky town was this either, you know? And 
it's it possibly could be because my dad took us for three years. We went to Las Vegas. And so I met other people, right? Who knew there were other people than what are in <laughs> Kentucky and Ohio, right? And we all don't follow the same religions and we all don't have the same backgrounds or beliefs, but people can get along and, and everything is okay. Just listening to what you were saying. When I look back on how I, how I was made fun of as a child and mine was not from being, you know, homosexual or anything like that. Mine was because I was not a cute kid. I was an ugly kid. Laughs on you guys. Ha. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, right. That's right. Anyway, but when you're a kid and other kids are mean to you, that hits in a whole other realm than just people being negative or what have you. And it does make you strive to do better, to be that person. But you saying that you wanted to prove your worth to me hurts me so badly in my heart because I know... I know where you're coming from with that. And obviously I'm guessing that you had some supportive family members. Is that right? Or how, how did that go for you? Um, Yes. I, my family was very supportive. They made decisions with the information that they had looking back hindsight's 2020 and my parents and I, we have a very, and my brother and sister-in-law, like we all have a very close tight family and, but just my uncle, who was HIV positive, when I came out gay, there was definitely that fear. And look, I understand. I didn't grow up really aware of how severe HIV was as a kid. I get it now. My parents were trying to protect me in the best way that they could while still honoring me as my individual self. All of us have made mistakes along that journey, but um, I'm appreciative and I love my parents. So I am very privileged to have the parents that I do and the family that I do. They've given me a strong education and that has helped me find my purpose. That's fantastic. And more and more I'm finding, and, and I'm, I see it more in my, like my younger, my 17 year old, right? I see that people are so much more accepting. I, I, I graduated in 1991, just throwing that out there. And I was from rural Kentucky. Yeah. People aren't kind to anybody who doesn't look or dress or act like you, doesn't go to the same church, doesn't belong to the same groups. So I can't imagine how you must have felt as an Eagle Scout, you're going to camp and you're having, you know, you're, you're a kid, you're not ready for adult relationships or whatever, but you're still in that your hormones are starting to roll. You got things cooking. And (laughs) if the blonde haired blue eyed gal, isn't who you're looking for, uh, you must feel terrible, right? That must make you feel like I'm, I'm different and, and nobody knows what I'm feeling. And you can't exactly reach out and say, hey, other men who like other men at 15 years old, who are you? Where are you? I, I need help. I need have I have questions. I've got things I need to know. When you don't have that, wh- what are you supposed to do? And having that strong family, regardless, you know, we, we, I talk often about religion <laughs> I do, and how it affected me as a kid and the judgmental people that I saw, like that's not every religious person out there. So I know I kind of like, I throw a bad rap sometimes to people who were that grew up in church because I felt like it was such a terrible thing. And it wasn't, we, my, my family still loved me. They, there are things that definitely in hindsight, like you were saying, you only know what you were taught as mm-hmm. a child. Our parents didn't know any different. It's not like, like the, the fact that we can actually, like you can walk out in public holding hands with your partner. How nice is that? And you're, it's, it's not that you're not going to see 
people looking or what have you. But at least now you're not going to get drug across the street and beaten to death in broad daylight in downtown Columbus, which before might have been a thing. You know what I mean? So things are progressing. They're not nearly where they need to be. But being part of that, I can I can't even imagine how you must have felt as a child. So having your parents and having that strong family connection. Brilliant. I thank you to your parents for that. <laughs> I know it's a work in progress always, right? Because we all are. There's things that my kids do that I just can't stand and not for any other reason than they're just kids and I can't stand. (laughs) That's just how it goes. But so you got through this, you're, you're in college, you've become this nurse. Nursing isn't easy, by the way, guys. Fact. Um, because one of the things that you give up first and foremost, when you become a nurse is yourself, you give that up to help others, regardless of what anybody out there says, the people who say they just do it for the money, whatever, there has to be a component of compassion in your body for you to be able to care for others. There has to be, regardless of whether it's a little bitty, tiny bit or a whole lot. Like I carry the weight of the world on my shoulders on a daily basis. And I think a lot of nurses do. And I'm very nurse centric. I love nurses. I love baby nurses. I love older nurses. I've gotten to that point. I'm kind of in the middle because I'm not super old, but I'm not super young anymore. And I've got finally gotten people are coming to me and saying, hey, do you remember when you taught me that? And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember like a thousand years ago. <laughs> These are the things that we need to propagate in nursing is that line of communication and being able to deal with people from different walks of life. As you're going through school and now that you have, you got two weeks left. <laughs> that is so awesome. I'm so excited for you. One of the things that I think defines myself in my nurse practitioner life is all the stuff that I learned before. In your nursing career, have you had the instance of somebody just being straight hateful towards you based on who you are? And talk to talk to me about that. I mean, I don't wear a rainbow flag. I don't go, hi, I'm Chris. I'm gay. I'm going to be your nurse today. But like some people just have that radar built into them and um, or some they had no clue if I were to tell them. And so there have been a few cases where patients have said, I, you are not taking care of me. You're not taking care of my loved one. And they fired me as a nurse. And so thankfully I've always had a very supportive nursing team to where it's like, okay, we're switching assignments, whatever. When it comes to me being part of the LGBT Q and nursing, there hasn't been like an actual violent or derogatory names done towards me, but there's definitely been walls built. Now my psych patients, yes, I've been spit on, kicked at, threatened with a knife. I, we've even had patients threaten bomb threats. So it's like, okay. Um, so there's been a lot of growth in how to deescalate those situations, okay. but uh, that trauma in and of itself does carry on nursing as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things that people don't often think about, you know, everybody from every walk of life goes to ER at one point in their life. They have, well, for the most part, let's say, and you don't necessarily get to pick who takes care of you. You don't get to pick your doctor. You don't get to pick anybody in your care team. You're just there. You're alone. You're, you know, oftentimes you're sick, you're hurting. And what are you supposed to do? Your nurses are your conduit for love and connection while you're in the ER or in the, you know, in a hospital setting. So getting nurses have that ability to have that super awesome. I don't care who you are. I will take you for what you are ability. Now you can abuse that. You can (laughs) definitely when people get a little sassy, you can, you can get sassy back, but 
for the most part. It's tough, tough love. Oh, totally, totally. I've definitely, I've definitely doled out some tough love in my ER career. Fact, <laughs> you can't work at Grant and not dole out some good, you know, advice, right? Wyman McCary, I swear, McClary, wherever you are, you, um, <laughs> you, you taught me how to to appropriately um, take care of folks um, <laughs> in a nice, kind way. You know, that's the thing: is how do we communicate with folks, right? How do we begin this language of love? I like to call it. It, our language of non-judgmental ability to listen and not react, which is mm-hmm. tough for a lot of folks. And how do we then further this ability to communicate in a way that it suits me as my job, as my profession? I want to feel fulfilled in my in, in what I'm doing, but I also have this need to feel like I've helped you. And so codependency and nursing, <laughs> 100% is a thing. <laughs> So when you have this codependent lifestyle, which I believe I've lived, I've been married three times. I'm fixing every man on the planet. Let me tell you. And a couple (laughs) girls in between, you know, like that's exactly like I'm fixing everybody by not fixing myself. So tell me when you have been at your lowest point in your nursing, when you know that you were, or even before you were a nurse, let's, let's talk problems with fulfilling yourself with things that are negative versus things that are positive is the direction I would like to go in. So talk to me about how you dealt with that throughout your career. Well, ironically, um, I will have both positive and negative in this answer. Um, So I mentioned about the traumas growing up as a LGBTQ kid and I kind of capsulated it and just moved forward with my life and just went, I'm going to do shared governance. I'm going to start this nurse-driven protocol and research on my neuroscience ICU floor. I'm going to do all of these projects. And I just busied myself. On top of that, in the neuro ICU, there are very sick patients. They're coming in with strokes. uh, They're coming in with spinal issues. Uh, and there are even patients with anoxic brain injury where their brain has not had oxygen for a long period of time due to injury, overdose, or whatever. And there was a lot of death and dying. And I was not reflecting and processing what I was helping patients and families through that journey. And like I holding heads as we're drilling holes into their place in EBD and there was one patient, she had an oxygen brain injury due to a heroin overdose and I'm holding in necrotic brain and it's not a red flag for me. And because ironically, I, for two and a half years, I was using meth as a coping mechanism to traumas I w- wasn't paying attention to and the death and dying and just wanting to have that escape from life. And it led to a pretty significant addiction. I was ingesting it, smoking it, snorting it, um, even injecting it. And I vividly remember the first night that I injected it, how powerful it was. And to this day, I don't wake up thinking about it and I don't fall asleep without thinking about it. It has haunted me almost eight years now uh, since then. So that's where I had to hit my personal rock bottom. I literally had coffee with the nurse manager at the time um, the other day. And I said, did you have any idea I was doing drugs? And she's like, I had no idea. And I think that's where a lot of nurses, we know how to do things safely with dangerous things. Uh, we, (laughs) We know how to paralyze people. We know how to restrain people. We know how to inject people with different things. And so those skills was also my detriment. 
day that I lost my job because my nurse manager had to terminate me because I, I was tardy all the time because my brain just wanted to sleep and I'd sleep right through the alarm. And I said, I, she's the nurse leader that I want to be. And I said, I respect your decision and how you handled that whole situation. Right. And that day, the person I was using drugs with, we fought for blood. Uh, everything but the kitchen sink was broken. We quit our uh, like appliances were destroyed. Coffee tables were shattered. Chairs were broken. And our tenant who lived above us, they called the cops on us. And and that was the beginning of the end. Or that, that was the end of the end, I should say, not the beginning. Gotcha. I was fortunate enough to where my parents took me home. And you know you really messed up when you look out your back back window and you see your mom on the porch with her head between her knees. And you're like, I fucked up. And, and I'm really sorry for that to this day. And I'm very fortunate to where they've given me the grace of forgiveness because I've proven myself every day to be there. And I just, I said, please just trust me. And she's like, I hope I can. And it's like when your mom says, I'm disappointed in you. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. It's like one of those right through the heart. (laughs) (laughs) I totally get it. So, um, and so I, as I was sobering up, the realization of my reality was it was a battlefield and there was so much debris in my battlefield. And this is where a lot of people who are addicted and use drugs relapse because they don't know where to begin because there's so much damage mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, like there is friendship and social uh, damage and it's overwhelming. And I was fortunate enough. I was stubborn enough, I guess, to not relapse. And I just slowly just started cleaning up one mess after the other. And it's exhausting. Um, I had to sell my house. I had to get a divorce. I lost everything but my nursing license, my two dogs, and my car. I was tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. I think with interest, it went up to about 50000 um, that I was able to get paid off um, over time. And it's amazing how I rebounded from that, but it was a lot of work. And so I eventually, it becomes, once you start getting enough cleaned up, there's a little bit of hope and you hold on to that hope and it's one day at a time. And I just, I'm a goal setter. I'm, and so I just started setting my goals for what I wanted in the future. And I started reflecting, I'm like, how can I make this one, how can I make a safety net so I don't fall back? And how can I also re- move all of this trauma forward in a positive way and just start rewriting the wrongs? So I admitted I was very public about my addiction to meth. And through addiction to meth, I was, was HIV positive. And so both HIV and drug use is talked about in our community, HIV more, but not meth use. And so I wanted to share my story. And that kind of put me in a checks and balance. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm coming forward. So I'm going to have to hold up to this standard. And looking back, I would not have done it different. That's what I needed to do. Not everyone is going to be a voice, but they're going to find a purpose for themselves that's going to give them that energy. So, and that's where I tell people who are going through that battlefield, one goal at a time, find what's going to give you a safety net and find what's going to give you purpose. So not only was my career moving forward going to be with public health, 
But one of my personal motivations was my nephew was, um, this is where it hurts too. <laughs> my nephew was born and because I was projecting, I was so busy with school and work and not really sharing my drug use. Um, I, I was not able to be the godfather of my nephew and my aunt and uncle got that title and they're great. I, I mean, I love my family, <laughs> um, but on a personal level that hit so hard. And I really haven't shared that with my brother and sister-in-law only to my mom. And that was another sobering that I was so messed up that I missed out on my nephew. Um, so yeah, I, found my purpose, found my message. And I wanted to talk about in honesty and complete transparency, the use of meth, HIV, and how we need to talk about it. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> let me unpack all of that without crying. <laughs> Listen, I'm a softy. I'm very sensitive about a lot of things. Um, and I'm so proud of myself for holding it together, not crying right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm snotting around right now, but um, holy cow. First off, you're a beautiful human and I can't, I cannot express that enough. And I'm so glad that I saw you. Like, I don't normally Facebook stalk people. That's not a thing for me. But when I saw your posts, you're speaking in front of people and I'm looking through because I want authenticity in my show, right? I want people to really understand the struggles that we're all going through. And whether it's with sexuality, whether it's with drugs, alcohol, whether it's with your own family, you know, we all have our struggles. We just don't all know the same things. We haven't been taught the same things. We don't have the same languages. It's so nice to be able to hear your story and know that you are coming out on this more positive side, but also that you still are harboring some really terrible anguish in your heart, but you're dealing with it in a more positive way now. So these are the things that people need to know that even though you've hit your rock bottom or what you perceive as your rock bottom, you don't have to stay there. Nobody's making you stay there. You can get up. You can do this. There's ways that you need other people to help you. You can't always do things alone. There are some pieces and parts of that walk back to your greatness that you do have to do alone. And you've done those. And But you had that. The best thing in the whole world is to have the support that you need. And so many people, when you say, oh, I was a meth addict, people are like, what? You were a what? Ew, dirty, right? You have to think that that's what people are thinking, but to have the courage to be able to say, okay, yeah, I was a meth addict, but I needed help. I want help. I want somebody else. If somebody else needs the same help, I want them to get the same help, right? So that's an important piece of what you're doing. You're not just unpacking all of these little tiny capsules of junk that you've held in your heart for just you. You're doing this for so many more people. And that in itself, your intention behind what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing. I believe in my heart. That's why I wanted to give you this platform to speak about what you're taught, you know, like what's going on with you. Because I remember as a young child, the boys or girls that were different than everybody else, right? And I'm a middle child and I'm a Pollyanna. And so all of these things mean I want everybody to be happy. And so it's not that I'm like magically more empathic 
than other people. I have been, I've been studying people my whole life. How is, how is your facial expression matching your body language? How are you able to do these things or or be this person? Like, I want to be strong and tough. How do I like, how do I stand when I want to be strong and tough? How do I want to show love? How do I want people to perceive me so that they know that I'm safe for them to talk to safe for them to be around and somebody that can actually maybe offer some assistance. That's a huge thing as nurses that we have to do. And not everybody's really great at it. (laughs) There's some people out there that, you know, I I often wonder, hey, wow, you you do that? Okay, cool. (laughs) That works for you, then cool, whatever. But it's just like with anything else, we all are different. We all have different learning abilities or ways that we learn best. And honestly, I'm trying not to cry because everything that you said just a few minutes ago speaks to me as a mom but also speaks to my nurse heart as well. And it's brilliant. And the fact that you could recognize you were, you were, you were done. You knew it. You knew you were done, but you're bringing this amazing ability to speak your truth to other folks so that maybe one person out of a million has somebody as their go-to. I want to totally encourage you to write a book, a movie. Um, (laughs) You need to put this everywhere because there are so many of us as nurses and so many of us as humans that are missing out on that mom and dad piece, you know, that you don't have it. I think that it's very important to show as much love in a day that you can. Sometimes it's not, you know, you're not capable of showing the love that you want, but we don't love ourselves enough. So I think you're finding in this, the love for yourself that you didn't have for a long time, which is super cool. I mean, people go through whole lifetimes and not know that enlightened little piece that you got that not everybody has. You don't waste it. Don't squander that. You've got to keep, keep your eye on the prize. And, you know, we don't always all have an easy, super cool life. <laughs> you know, shit happens and things are tough, but it's how you get through them that kind of that's the that shows how what kind of person you are. So your hell, keep going. <laughs> correct, correct. So in your interactions, have you um, have you seen other people? Have you have you seen any positive reactions to some of the things that you've been putting out? Yeah. Uh, Yes. As a nurse, I, I've had a lot of good nursing reactions and a lot of public reactions that um, have been empowering. It's, um, I've always been upfront and honest in an interview process. I said, I'm very public. I'm very open. We'll continue to keep doing this. And every manager that I've interviewed with since that has been supportive, which is amazing. I'm glad that nursing is making that those steps forward and not holding stigma. With my patients, I remember this one person like, you don't know what I'm going through and was coming off of heroin. And, and granted, the withdrawals are different between like her coming off meth and withdrawing from heroin. I completely agree. And I said, I have an idea. And I sat down at the bedside and where she was about to leave AMA, she and I, after about a 30 minute conversation was like, she went from a 10 to a one and stayed to continue to get that treatment to hopefully reach out for that second chance in life. And being able to be that vulnerable and share that with my patients is a privilege uh, because I think 20 some years ago, that would not have flown in nursing with that relationship with your patient. 
and I have viewed it as we're taught to do no harm, but we're also, we need to start looking at doing less harm uh, with people who are in those situations to where, how can we meet them where they are to create a trusting relationship? So I am the nurse that I will give patients clean needles. So that way are unused needles. Uh, I'm trying to watch patch myself with saying dirty and clean. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So I am that nurse that I will give unused needles to a person using drugs to prevent HIV, hepatitis C, and abscess. If you look at a picture of a needle that's been used multiple times, those things are jagged and very scary looking. A uh, person using drugs who's injecting is going to find a way to inject drugs no matter what you do. And so kind of leaning in and giving a safe environment will create a trusting relationship and then that relationship, maybe the third, fourth, fifth time you see that patient, they're like, I'm ready. And you've already created that relationship and you can move forward with that. So on a public level, I've had people say, get your disease and stigmatized to where like you do drugs and I don't want you around my kids. And, but I've also had a very positive reaction publicly too, to where they're like, I can't believe you did drugs. I'm like, I walked away with all my natural teeth. I was lucky. And I brush my teeth two to three times a day. And, but I'm, but I want to create that bridge for people who have kids going through addiction issues, family members going through addiction issues. And parents come up to me, they're like, how can I talk to my kids about this? I don't know what drugs do in real life. I know what the textbooks say. I'm like, just create an open relationship to where you can talk freely without bias about sexual orientation, sexual expression. Uh, gender identity, and even with our heterosexual, heteronormative lifestyle, people just having that honest communication about sex, about identity will go a long way. And it doesn't, won't create harm. It won't create pain and trauma. It's so hard as a parent, I'm going to say for me, it's very difficult to practice harm reduction when you're angry. Like I'm pretty sure that my kids are, you know, we, we do have a wonderfully open line of communication, sometimes too much, too much, but I, I wanted that. I wanted that from day one. Like I didn't ever think that I could talk to my parents about things. And then I lost my dad when I was 20. Right. And my mother was, you know, she was lost herself because she lost her partner of 25 years. You know, that's all she had. And she had these kids and my little brother, I'll never forget. My mom was just like, can you just take him and do something with him? Because I don't have the bandwidth or she didn't use the word bandwidth at the time. Wasn't a thing, but you know, she did, she, she used this term. Like I, I, I just can't do it right now. Can you help me? And of course, of course I did. And now my mother has Alzheimer's. So I didn't, can't even depend on, you know, the conversations that we could have as a mother daughter anymore. But for myself, I really try as hard as I can to not be that judgmental person based on the religious beliefs that my mother was. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but being loving and showing kindness to my kids has been something that I, I've always wanted to, you know, obviously you don't want to be terrible to your kids. Sometimes they need it, but um, I just wanted them to know that I'm a safe person to talk to. You don't have to be, yeah, I might get mad at you hands down going to get mad at you, but I'll get over it. You know, if you have, if you're afraid, if there's something that you feel like you can't tell me, then find my best friend that you can, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mommy's got lots of best friends and they come in all shapes and sizes and gender identity. 
entities. So we, you can tell anybody if you have, that's what I set up for my kids, but not everybody has that opportunity. You know, I, I just was very lucky and I, you know, I wasn't taught to be this person who wasn't judgmental. I totally was, you know, I was taught the the lovely way of, of the Bible where you judge people, but you don't judge people. I don't know how that works out, but, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know what happened at my, in an early age, I guess, you know, obviously because kids made fun of me. I was from Kentucky. I was in Las Vegas. There's all these different people, you know, I was number one on that list of she's a weird little country girl with a gap between her teeth and glasses. So let's make fun of her too. Okay, fine. Maybe that made me who I am and I'm glad for it um, because I don't think I'd want to be any other way than a beacon of hope and light for people in when they're at their most desperate moment. That's what I believe in my heart is my job on this planet to talk and never shut up about <laughs> loving kindness and how much we can purvey it. That's for sure. But you are doing all these amazing things. And so I'm pretty sure you're going to write a book. Did we hear? No, <laughs> you're going to write a book about your experiences. And I think that that's going to be something that's even more of a self-discovery for you, because just like you were you're laying it all out here today, sometimes you don't really realize how terrible or how um, life-changing something has been for you until you sit and think, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Holy cow. How, how did this pivotal moment in my life become like a memory and nothing more? It's once you start to unravel all the reasons mm-hmm. why you are where you are, you've had these experiences. Let's go with what would you say to somebody who was in your shoes as a child? What would you say today to those kids? My guy, I feel I'm about to be on RuPaul's Drag Race when they should six-year-old self. (laughs) People are going to judge you. People are going to try to put you in a box. Being young and naive, you're going to try to conform because that's all you want to do is just be accepted. But it's that uniqueness. It's that passion. It's that fire. It's that spirit in you that's going to be the light that people need. And you're not going to see that now at six. You're not going to see that at 12 when you're having surgery because people are mean to you. And you're, but eventually you're going to get hold of life and you're going to juice every ounce of it and you're going to make an impact. You're going to take that special story that is yours and you're going to go into whatever platform, whatever profession, whatever art, whatever it is that makes you you and you're going to excel in it. And it's hard not to focus on those things that are so negative and hold you down. Go to therapy. Therapy's great. <laughs> it helps you work through a lot of challenges in your life and it's going to help you explode. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. If my sinuses weren't already <laughs> stuffed up enough, you're killing me over here today. Um, you speak to my heart in so many ways. And I am so happy that you um, agreed to come on and talk about what's going on with you and your story is amazing. And if you don't write a book, I'm going to kick your ass. So (laughs) (laughs) write it, write your, write your truth. There is somebody out there that can benefit from everything that you're doing. Now, are there any special interest groups that you work with or that you're familiar with that if somebody had some issues and you don't have to answer this, if you don't, I I'm putting you on the spot, (laughs) 
if there was somebody somewhere that you used counseling wise um, or anything like that, where would you send somebody to that had questions? Um, here in Ohio, I have used uh, Gehanna counseling. And as a kid, I don't remember the exact counselor I went to. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of LGBT friendly organizations. Uh, I forget. um the name of it off the top of my head, but Google search LBT friendly therapy and you'll see a list because uh, they're there. Gotcha. I know not, not everybody out there knows that I know you like I know you, but you're also helping raise a young man, right? Yeah, you are. You're, you're helping in the co-parenting. I know you are. What are the great things that you see with that? And I'm not going to mention names because, you know, I don't want to do that. But tell me, what's it like to be in charge of making sure somebody's okay? So that in full transparency, I have made mistakes and I've owned them. And I've talked to him like, on the five great years I've gotten to know him and seen him grow. He is a very self-aware individual and I'm proud of him. And he's been able to learn from my mistakes, but he's also been able to see like, you have to work hard to get what you want. He sees me every Saturday typing away on my computer doing homework. I'm proud that he's taken his life experience and his self-awareness. He has a friend And I don't know, I forget if they're binary or wanting to transition, um, but they go by they. And he has just latched on to appropriate pronoun use and just been that friend. And I, looking back in my childhood, I wouldn't, this wasn't a thing. Like, and it's hopeful to me that kids now are going to be able to find that person that support a lot sooner than college. And I'm hoping less pain and trauma. And that's where I've had the opportunity to have a strong family. Not everyone does. And that's why teachers need to be able to say gay, to talk about LGBTQ, because they are some a lot of times a lifeline for people and for little humans that need that support and that love, that compassion. And so there is no one that is going to shut me up from saying gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, non-binary. I, I don't care what law is made because I will talk openly and appropriately, age appropriate, of course. No one is sexualized. I'm tired of people sexualizing the LGBT community. I'm like, no, there is age appropriate representation that can happen. Right. The story that sticks out in my mind, my really good friend, Jason, um, we all worked at the hospital together, all of us, Caleb and Jay, you know, um, (laughs) years ago, strangely enough, um, he was my first, very first uh, friend who came to me and said, I just want to let you know, Alex, that I told you I met a long time ago is not really a girl. He's a guy. And we've been together for all these years and have, they have been in this wonderful relationship for holy cow, maybe 30 years now, over 20 years for sure. Anyway, in my heart of hearts, I never once ever had a thought of, oh, you know, he's different. He's, you know, whatever. And this is rural Ohio. So it is what it is. But, um, and Jason used to help me with my son, right? My, my little boy, my five-year-old at the time, maybe four or five. And one of the nurses said to me one day, I can't believe you would allow your son to go stay with those people. I'm sorry. What those people I'm sorry, huh? 
yeah, I can't believe it's just despicable. It's disgusting. Aren't you afraid that they're going to molest him? I'm like, holy shit. No, what? Why is that? Why is that your first thought? Because they're a couple. Do you think that when you drop your, your son or daughter off with the husband and wife couple, they're not fucking somebody, they're, they're each other? Like, what? Am I afraid that my son's going to get touched by a man because he's gay? What? These are the things that um, we need to dispel in the world. Uh, yeah. These are not things that are, that's not even feasible, right? Like, why would you say that? I, I, I can't even imagine knowing this person, knowing Jason for as long as I had, that just broke my heart that she would even say that because one of the most beautiful humans on the planet, get out of here. All there was was loving kindness coming from them. And that's the thing. I think that people just, they hear the LGBTQ plus whatever, how, whatever moniker you want to give, um, binary, non-binary, whatever gender role you want to pick, whatever. They hear these conversations and all they're sticking in their mind is these are child molesters. They get AIDS. They do drugs. It's all terrible, terrible. Well, that rhetoric is out the door these days. That doesn't have to happen anymore. Kids need to know that there are more than just mommies and daddies out there. There are. And it doesn't matter who your family is made up of. As long as people love you and you feel supported, then it doesn't matter. What matters is love. And what matters is that you feel supported. Get those people, right? That's it. (laughs) We need to support good people being good people. (laughs) Right. Well, what this nurse brains for you, that's what we think about, right? (laughs) But it has been an absolute freaking pleasure to have you on here. I can't even tell you how happy my heart is. And I'm so proud of myself for not breaking down and crying while you were crying. (laughs) Me too. I, <laughs> you, this I'm is wonderful. <laughs> but so if somebody wanted to contact you, do you have an email address? Do you have a social media that you would send people to? So my Instagram and my Facebook are open publicly. Um, and it's Christopher Hetzer, H-E-T-Z-E-R, because I it brings a lot of trolls, but it also it's that uh, lifeline to where I've had a lot of I've had 12 year olds reach out to me and I've had older people and parents reach out to me. So yes, Instagram. Facebook me. Um, and then I also have another Instagram account that I'm slowly creating called We Are Phoenix Strong. Phoenix Strong is the title of the book that I want to write. Um, someone already told, stole that, but We Are Phoenix Strong. And I'm just putting sexual health information, harm reduction information, and, and just primary health uh, awareness on that page it's very slow growing like um but i'm now that i'm finishing my masters i'm hoping to spend a little bit more time there (laughs) well i will help you with whatever you need i'm telling you i'm i like you're amazing i appreciate you i appreciate you speaking your truth on my show today because that's what i want in this lifetime is for other people to feel supported and loved and also you can see me at fairypleasures.com fairypleasures on facebook instagram twitter Fairy pleasures one at tiktok get a tiktok that's what they said ridiculous anyway christopher thank you so much sweetheart for being here i appreciate you i love you so much and everybody out there have a great day bye try to catch me hollering at the moon